Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Hey, thank you, Pastor John. Hey, good morning, South Valley. How is everybody today? You guys doing well? I'm glad to see that you guys are awake, that you're here. I know it feels like 8 a.m. because it really is 8 a.m. But, but let's, I'm glad that we're here. We got some Starbucks for you if you need it at any time in this sermon today. Today is week three of our new sermon series, Theology 101, Understanding the Basics. I'm so glad you're with us today in person. Thank you for those of you who are joining us today online. Now, last week, we got to talk about the Trinity, and I had a blast talking about the Trinity. It was really challenging, but I also had a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that topic as well. Today, yeah, and and last week, so last week, we were reminded that we worship a triune God, one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were reminded that our God is big And in some ways, our God is mysterious. Okay, there are things about God that we're going to struggle to wrap our minds around. And and not until we see him face to face will we understand some of who he is. He's that big. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's revealed himself to us. But he is infinite, and we are not. We're finite. He's the creator. We are the creatures. Well, today, though, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to learn about the third person of the Trinity, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been coming to church for any length of time, then odds are you have a pretty good understanding of the Father, the first person in the Trinity. You probably have an even better understanding of the Son, the second person in the Trinity. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit... What I've realized is that for many of us, we are wondering, who is he? What does he do? We talk a lot about the Father. We talk a lot about the Son. But we often neglect the Holy Spirit. And the problem with this is because what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples, his followers, he said that it's to your benefit that I go away. Because when I leave... I and the Father are going to send someone in my place. And who is that person's name? Who was he going to send? The Holy Spirit. And so the church age, the age that you and I now live in today, is an age that is marked by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you know him? Do you yield to him? Do you understand his role in your life? Okay, I don't know if you know this, but the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 320 times in the Bible. Over 320 times, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, he's often the least known and most neglected person in the Trinity. And so today, I want to answer two questions about the Holy Spirit. The first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? The second question is, what? How does the Holy Spirit 
impact our everyday lives. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Will you guys pray with me and then we'll jump into it. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this church. I always love being here on Sundays. It's just so encouraging seeing all these faces and even even on a day like today where people are losing sleep, we are here, we're ready, and we just praise you for life, God. We praise you for life. And as John just prayed, I pray that if there's anyone anxious today, worried today, feeling just the anxiety of the world shaking around them, that we would know without a doubt that you are a rock. You're on the throne. You are in charge. You will not neglect us. You will not forget us. You are with us. And you're with us so much so so that you actually have given your spirit to reside in us. Remind us of that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. So last week I mentioned that there are two primary categories for religion in the world. You guys remember that? The first primary category is polytheism. Poly means many. Theos means God. So that's the belief in many gods. We also talked about monotheism. Mono means one, theos means God. So this is the belief in one God. This begs a question, though. What about for those who aren't religious? What's the predominant worldview of irreligious people in the world? Well, the answer to that is something called naturalism. Naturalism is the idea or belief that only natural laws or forces operate the world. So naturalism denies the existence of anything spiritual. The only thing that exists in, in, with naturalism is matter and energy and whatever can be observed through scientific investigation. And, and just a side note on this, naturalists are self-proclaimed atheists. So the other predominant worldview is that there is no God. Atheism, that there is no God. And the goal of naturalism is to explain the world apart from God. That's the goal of naturalism. Now, I just want to come out and say that I don't actually hate everything about naturalism. In fact, I think that the science behind naturalism and science in general is incredible. I appreciate science. I feel indebted to things like modern medicine. I love science, but here's the problem. There is something called biased science. I think that the last two years have shown us that there is something called biased science. Science actually isn't always objective. Science is oftentimes subjective. And so the goal of naturalism is to explain the world apart from God. But what we're realizing, what I want you to see is that if you want to be a scientist one day, which I hope that we have some scientists in the room, you want to be a doctor one day, whatever, if you want to go into that field one day, I want you to know this, that when we study the natural laws and the natural forces that help operate our world, we aren't actually taking God out of the equation. We're doing the exact opposite. You see, natural laws and forces aren't evidence against God. They're evidence for God. Okay, the intricacy and the order of the universe is evidence of an intelligent designer. The greatest evidence of God is you. You are not an accident. You are not some random result of time, matter, and chance. 
You were designed by an intelligent creator. Now, we are approaching a time in world history where atheism is slowly becoming a thing of the past. There's a new book out called Is Atheism Dead? And, and it's slowly becoming a thing of the past because people are realizing that atheism has so many holes in it. Like, we, yeah, maybe we, they talk about like a big bang, but where does time come from? Where does this matter even start? How, how do we a- account for the, the design and in- intricacy of the world? Well, the only answer is that there's a God, a God who made you, a God who made this world, a God who made the natural laws that operate this world. And so God makes himself known through science. He makes himself known through the natural order of the universe. And in theology, we call this general revelation. General revelation says that we all Every one of us have knowledge of God's existence, his character, and his moral law through his created world. When we study creation, we learn about the brilliance and the character of God. Paul says it this in Romans. This way in Romans, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to mankind, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God says, hey, there's evidence of me everywhere. When you see a child born, do you say, wow, that, I can't believe you were a monkey at one point in your life. No. When you fall in love, do you say, man, I can't believe that we were fish one time in the ocean. No. You realize when you see the intricacy of the world, when you experience life and the emotions of being a human being, when you see the beauty of God's design, God's making himself known in the things that have been made. And so here's the thing. All of us are without excuse when it comes to whether or not we believe in God. God says you have no choice but to believe in me. I've made myself known through creation. Now, the reason I wanted to start here is because I think that one of the reasons we neglect the Holy Spirit is because naturalism creeps in. That worldview of naturalism creeps into our lives. It's it's naturalism that causes us to doubt the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's true. That God created a world of natural laws. And yes, it's true that God can be observed through his created world. But as creator, God also has the power to supersede natural laws whenever he wants. And in most of the occasions in scripture where God supersedes his natural laws and performs what we call a miracle, he does the miracle through who? The Holy Spirit. So back to our question. Question number one. Who is the Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you three characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. What we see in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit grants physical life. The Holy Spirit also grants spiritual life applies spiritual life. So let's look at physical life first. A few passages. Number one, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. 
Next one. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Okay, this should make us think of the garden. When God breathed into man and woman, into their nostrils, the breath of life, and they became a living creature. It's his spirit that grants life. Job 34, 14. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. If you're alive today, then you are a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He's gifted you with the miracle of life on this planet. You are a thinking, feeling, breathing, physical, spiritual creature. And so one thing I want to encourage you with is, is this. Don't ever take your life for granted. You are a miracle. You're a miracle. God formed you from the dust of the earth. When God was creating this world... This world was incomplete without you. That's how much you matter. You matter to God. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever let Satan make you feel like you're not valuable, like you're less than. You matter. You matter to God. You matter to us. You are special. You were designed by God. Your life is a miracle. Please don't ever take a single breath for granted. God made you. God loves you. You're a miracle. There are a few other miracles of the gift of physical life, greater ones than what we just saw here, and that's with Jesus. What we read about the Holy Spirit is that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to this passage, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We also read that the Spirit was the one responsible for the resurrection of Jesus. Another act of physical life. In the Spirit... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And we also read that one day when there's this great resurrection, Jesus comes back and he establishes a new heavens and a new earth and these decaying bodies that are broken and hurting and that we eventually start to, to hate a little bit because there's pain and all of that stuff. One day those bodies will be resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not just the giver of physical life. He's also the giver of spiritual life. Listen to John 6, 63. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Here we're seeing that the Holy Spirit is the one who quickens our souls, who makes us alive to the things of God. This means, when he says the flesh is no help at all, this means that it doesn't matter how much you work at being loved by God, at earning God's grace, at earning God's forgiveness. Your works in God's eyes are like filthy rags, we read in Isaiah. We cannot awaken ourselves to the things of God. We cannot earn God's love. We cannot earn God's salvation. So the good news is God gives his spirit to bring us to life because our flesh is no help at all. 
Jesus says it this way in John 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Okay, we, we have, we've all experienced the first birth, being born of flesh, but the first birth doesn't save us. The first birth can't save us. We need a second birth, a spiritual birth. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The spirit is responsible for the spiritual birth. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit here is mysterious like the wind. He's unseen, cannot be contained. But when he shows up, his presence is unmistakable. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up, dead things come to life. Dead hearts are quickened. Lives that people who were once lost become found. That's why we say things in Christianity like, I was blind, but now I what? It's that radical when you receive the Holy Spirit. It's so radical when you receive the Holy Spirit that you say things like, at one time I was lost, but now I'm what? I'm found. That is how radical the power of the Holy Spirit's presence is in a person's life. When they receive the Spirit, they go from being dead to being alive. It is a radical change. The Holy Spirit's the giver of life. Second thing I want you to know, though, is that the Holy Spirit is also a person. He's a person. Now, although there are different word pictures used to describe what the Holy Spirit does, like wind or like tongues of fire, Or like a dove of peace descending upon Jesus. We need to remember that the Spirit is not an impersonal force like in Star Wars. Do we have any Star Wars fans in here this morning? All right, hands went up for that one. Okay, nice. My neighborhood is all about Star Wars. Every Wi-Fi network is a Star Wars name in my neighborhood. It's pretty awesome. Um, So my my favorite TV show in the Star Wars franchise is The Mandalorian. You guys like Mandalorian? Anybody? Yes, okay, a couple claps, all right. And, and if you don't know who the Mandalorian is or watch that show, then odds are you've seen this little green guy around on Instagram or Facebook. Okay, this is Grogu, also known as Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda or Grogu, he is a, a force-sensitive creature from uh, the same species as Yoda. Uh, and so he's, he's very powerful. Some people are thinking that maybe he's going to become like maybe possibly the most force the most powerful, force-sensitive creature in the Star Wars universe. Grogu, though, he's, he's powerful, he's strong, he, he's tapping into the force that has this light side of the force and the dark side of the force. It's an impersonal energy field that, that some beings can tap into. And, and Grogu is this, Grogu, I don't know if you know this, but he's 50 years old, okay? And he's just a, he's like this big. He's 50 years old. Here's the thing. I love Grogu, I like Star Wars, but the force in Star Wars is not a good example of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal energy field. The Holy Spirit is a person. This means that the Spirit has a personality, the Spirit has personal attributes, like God the Father and God the Son. We're told that we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that we could even grieve the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says in John. He says, you know what? Him. 
not you know it. You know him, for he dwells with you. He will be in you. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. He's not like gravity. You can't have a relationship with gravity. I know I said this last week. Some of you feel like you do have a relationship with gravity. Gravity hasn't been kind to you. But you can't yell at gravity. Gravity's not going to listen. You can talk to the Spirit, though. You can know the Spirit. You can listen to the Spirit. The third thing I want you to know, characteristic about the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. If you remember last week's message on the Trinity, we were reminded that we worship one God and three persons and that each person is fully God. And a great example of this, one of my favorites, I said to, to mark this one, to save this one, is uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the Great Commission. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, right? Not names, one name, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name, three persons, each person is fully God. And so that's why on occasion in the Bible, the words God and Spirit are used interchangeably. An example of this is Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. You guys might remember this. Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit. And Peter says to them when they lied to the Holy Spirit that you've lied not to man, but you've lied to God. That's because the Holy Spirit is God. So summary, really quick. Who is the Holy Spirit? Oh, I, don't, I don't have it there. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life, the Holy Spirit, is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, so now let's talk about some application. How does the Holy Spirit impact our everyday lives? I want to start with a quote. Charles Hodge, he says this uh, in a quote. I think I have this quote. Maybe we don't. Yes, we do. He's predominantly called the Holy Spirit to indicate both his nature and operations. He's absolutely holy in his nature and the cause of holiness in all creatures. And so what I want to point out here is that part of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is actually wrapped up in his name. He is called the what? The Holy Spirit. And he's called the Holy Spirit because part of his job in your life as a believer is to make you holy. The Holy Spirit makes us holy, and he does that by purifying our hearts, what's inside of us, and by purifying our lives, our actual actions, how we live out our lives. So let's start with the heart. How does he purify the heart? It says, you were washed. He washes your heart. Have you ever felt guilt or shame in your life before? If you confess your sin to Jesus, Jesus forgives you, and guess what? The Holy Spirit washes you. You were sanctified. That means you're made holy. You were justified. That means you're declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you've ever felt dirty on the inside, 
if you've ever felt shame, if you've ever felt guilt, if you've ever felt anxiety, or you just feel like, man, I just wish I could change. I wish I could have a fresh start. I wish I could be a new me. I, I just, I'm tired of this burden. I'm tired of living this regret over and over again. I just wish I could just get this off of me, get this out of me. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. When you trust in Jesus and you receive the Lord as your Lord and Savior, he gives you the Holy Spirit to cleanse your heart to make you new on the inside. You are forever changed. And so when you stand before God, if you have the Holy Spirit, guess what? When you stand before God, even though you are still somebody who struggles with sin, and even though you have sinned in your past and you will continue to sin until you meet Jesus face to face. When you meet Jesus face to face, if you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, you know what he sees in you? Perfection. Not because you deserved it or earned it, but because he accomplished it for you by going on the cross and sending a helper to cleanse you and wash you, the Holy Spirit. This was promised in the Old Testament. The, the prophets promised a time in the Old Testament where God's people would be cleansed from the inside out. And that once they were cleansed in here, then they would begin to live lives that are impacted and that li lives that are lived differently than the, what they were doing previously. Okay, so this is what's crazy about Christianity. Every religion is do good and God will love you. Christianity is Love God, believe in God, and then by his grace, you will do good. He's the one who makes you do good, empowers you to do good. Look at this promise in Ezekiel, Old Testament promise about the time we live in today as Christians. This is what Ezekiel said. He said, I'll sprinkle clean water, talking about God here, I'll sprinkle clean water on you. And you'll be clean from all your uncleanness, all your idols I'll cleanse you of. I'll give you a new heart. And a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you. And I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. Do you see this here? So in the Old Testament, they would have a law. They'd have commandments. And it was, all right, man. All right, women. Good luck. I, don't even, I can't remember how many laws there are in the Old Testament off the top of my head. It's something like 600, 400 and something. I can't remember off the top of my head. All those laws, good luck. The laws showed that we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it by our own strength. We couldn't live new lives by our own power. We couldn't be perfect on our own. God said, hey, a new time is coming where it's not going to be by your power. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And what's the spirit going to do? He's going to cause you. He's going to cause you to walk in my statutes. He's going to cause you to be, be careful to obey my rules. Okay, this, this is why I'm a pastor today. This is why. Because before, yeah, before I knew Jesus, I tried to, to change myself. I tried. I tried to get rid of my addictions. I tried to get rid of my past. I tried to live new lifestyles. I, and here's the thing. I would have a couple weeks of good times. Like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm awesome. I'm powerful. I'm strong. And then Satan would hit me. 
The world would hit me, my flesh would hit me, and I would spiral again out of control. I realized I can't do it on my own. And so I finally recognized what it meant to be in need of a savior. And when I finally bowed my knee and said, God, I need you, I can't do this on my own, crazy thing happened inside of me. All of a sudden, the things that I used to do that I liked doing, even though they were sinful and I knew they were bad and I knew they were hurting me and hurting others, but I still liked them, all of a sudden I didn't like those things anymore. That is called a miracle. That's a miracle. Some of you have experienced that miracle. Where at one time you did things that destroyed your life. You liked doing those things. You hated the consequences, but you liked how that thing made you feel. You liked what you experienced with the others when you were doing that thing or participating in that lifestyle. But you didn't really, at the end of the day, you didn't really want that lifestyle anymore. You wanted something different, but you didn't know how to change because you were so stuck. And you just, that's how you've always done things. If you want to change, the Holy Spirit has come to change you. You can change. You can beat addiction. I don't care if it was what your grandfather was addicted to, and then your father was addicted to it, and then now you're addicted to it, and so you're assuming that your son and your grandson and their grandson, you're assuming that this is going to be some kind of generational curse for you and your family. I'm going to tell you this. There are no generational curses with the Holy Spirit. There aren't. Whatever deep, dark thing has a hold on your life, Greater is he who lives in you than he who's in the world. Nothing is too big for God. I don't care how long it has controlled you. I don't care how much it has stolen from you. Today can be a new day for you. It can. Some of you, though, are, you're afraid. You're afraid that if you give this thing up, then you're giving up the one thing that makes you happy but also not happy at the same time. You love that feeling, but you also hate that feeling when you wake up in the morning or late at night or when you see what it's doing to your life. And, but you're afraid. You're afraid of the change. You're afraid that maybe giving your life to God, giving these things up, leaving these things behind is going to be too hard, too much for you to handle, that maybe it's not worth it. I'm just going to tell you right now that it is absolutely worth it. It is absolutely worth it. God, when you give your life to God and you actually surrender and you actually live for him and you actually obey him and you actually trust him, I'm going to tell you right now with, with, without a shadow of a doubt, you will never, ever, ever regret those decisions, ever. Wherever God leads you, you will never regret it, never. But if there is sin in your life that's controlling you, you will absolutely regret it at some point. And some of you are regretting it today. It's not too late. You can be made new. You can be transformed from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. Let's say that again. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. There's freedom for you, freedom 
for me. So what about you? Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit's power to radically change your life? I want you to know today you can change. You could change as a father. You can change as a mother. You can change as a brother or a sister. You can change as an employee, whatever it is, whatever areas of your life where you feel like, you know what, if I'm being honest with myself and I look in the mirror and I take an honest inventory of my life, how I'm using my finances, how I'm treating others, my daily mindset and my outlook at the world, it's always negative. I'm always negative. I'm always replaying things in my life that just hurt and just bring me down. If, if you want to begin to get rid of those things that haunt you and hurt you and hang you up, you can change with the Holy Spirit. Some of you right now need to start praying to the Holy Spirit and asking for help to change. Asking Jesus right now in this moment to begin to opening you up to him and to finally surrender some of those things that are weighing you down. The second way that the Holy Spirit impacts our everyday lives is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for God. He empowers us to live for God. Now, this is massive because in the Old Testament, the Spirit functioned differently than he does today, than he, does, than he did in the New Testament. Okay, he functions differently. So in the Old Testament, I'm just going to throw this up on the screen really quickly. There are only 18 explicit examples of the Spirit's indwelling presence in the Old Testament. Only 18. 18 times. That's it. Where we can see with clarity that the Holy Spirit came upon somebody and dwelt them and empowered them to do something special. I'm not going to go through all these, but you could just see here. You got people like Moses. You got people like Gideon. You guys might remember that. Samson, Saul. We go to the next slide. Um, you got David being filled with the Holy Spirit. You got Zechariah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Okay, this, that list that I just showed you, that's it in the Old Testament. That's it. Those are the only occasions in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came upon a person and indwelt them. And so what we know in the, in the Old Testament with how the Holy Spirit worked is this. There are three characteristics of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The first is that the Spirit's empowering presence was infrequent. Didn't happen very often. That it only involved select leaders of Israel. Okay, only a few people experienced the Spirit in that way. And finally, it was temporary. The Spirit would come, the Spirit would go. That's why when David sinned, he said, take not your what? Spirit from me. The Spirit moved differently in the Old Testament. And although we only have a few examples of the Spirit's empowering presence in the Old Testament, I want you to think for a second of that list that I just showed. Those were some big names on the, that list. Every name on that list, we're talking about incredible leaders doing incredible God-sized things when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm showing you that because of this. God also promised in the Old Testament that one day in the new covenant era, 
with the coming of the Messiah, the coming of his son, everyone would experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Not just a few select leaders in Israel, but every believer would experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus' last teaching to his disciples was that although I'm, I'm leaving, I want you to know it's actually better that I leave. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to raise three days later. I'm going to ascend to heaven. You're going to think that you're left alone and that this is actually a bad thing for you. But it's actually better that I leave because when I leave, the promise from the Old Testament, the promised spirit is going to come. He says in John 14, 16, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper, capital H. It's parakletos in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek term. It's, it's helper, comforter, someone to come alongside you and he will be with you for how long? Forever. And who is this? The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, and that's who is it, our advantage that he leaves that he ascends to heaven, because when he leaves, we would get the Spirit. And so Jesus, the following day after this teaching, he went to the cross. Three days after the cross, he rose from the grave. For 40 days, he showed himself alive to his disciples and to others, to hundreds and hundreds of people, saw the risen Christ, He told them to wait in Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, something amazing was going to happen. They were going to receive the promised Holy Spirit. And so then we get to Acts chapter 2, and we see this scene at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was a turning point in redemptive history. This moment in Acts, that day of Pentecost, life on this planet has never been the same since. Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. The spirits worked among select leaders. In the New Testament, Jesus says, hey, when you believe in me, guess what? From this moment onward, at this day of Pentecost, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit in them was that they were doing big and mighty things. Just like people in the Old Testament were doing big and mighty things. And so from this moment forward, there are three things we know about the Holy Spirit and how he works today. The one is that the Holy Spirit, his empowering presence is for all believers. The same Spirit who dwelt in Jesus dwells in you if you are a believer. The second thing we know is that the Holy Spirit's empowering presence is permanent. He doesn't come and go. Your salvation, your life in the Lord is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Once you know the Lord and are connected to him, nothing can take you away from him. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand because the greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. It's permanent. And finally, the Spirit's empowering presence is evidence of salvation. You know that you are saved when you have the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit has fruit. 
fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. The Spirit changes you from the inside out. I want you to know today, and I don't know where we went wrong as an evangelical church. I'm not talking about South Valley. I'm just talking about the church in general. I don't know where we went wrong. And in, in, in eventually at some point in our history, we started to kind of neglect the Spirit. What's, what's tragic about it is that we are neglecting, when we neglect the Holy Spirit, we are neglecting our greatest helper. Jesus has given us the Spirit for a reason. We have the Spirit to help us. We have the Spirit to comfort us. We have the Spirit to strengthen us. We have the Spirit to change us. The question is, do we know Him? Are we listening to Him? Are we following Him? Are we trusting Him? Or are we living our lives by the power of our flesh daily trying to do things our way by our strength. And I'm just going to tell you, if you ever live that kind of lifestyle, you are going to be discouraged because life is way too hard. Satan is way too strong. Your flesh is way too powerful. The world is way too influential. But when God is alive in you, you can, nothing is too big for you. Nothing. Nothing. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Application for you today is this. I have three ways to apply today's... And let me ask you this question first. Can your life be explained apart from the Holy Spirit? If your answer to that question is yes, yeah, I'm a Christian and and my life can be explained apart from the Holy Spirit, then, then something's wrong. Because Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit so that you could live a life that you can't explain. A life that's so big, so just transforming makes such an impact only God could get the credit for it Jesus gives you the spirit so you can live a life that God can get the credit for not that you can get the credit for so can your life be explained apart from the Holy Spirit if you want to live a miraculous life an inspired empowered life then there are three ways I want you to apply today's message very simple the first is invite the Holy Spirit into your life some of you need to do that right here right now today before you leave don't go out there thinking you get another chance at this you may not this is your moment to finally say Jesus I surrender Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Holy Spirit, open me up. Make your home in me. Change me from the inside out. I'm ready for you. Today's the day. Today's the day. Don't leave without doing this if that's that's not you today. Number two, memorize Scripture. We've been continuing this Scripture memory thing week after week. This week is Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, one of my favorite passages in in, in the entire Bible. Surely he's borne our griefs carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why would we put that stuff in our heart? The reason why is because the word and the spirit go hand in hand. The Spirit 
illuminates the word to where you understand it. He helps you apply it. He helps you speak it at the right moment. If you don't have the word to grab in those important moments, then what, are you, what kind of advice are you going to give? May, if your advice is all off a of sports center all week long, it's not going to be great advice. If your advice is from the word, it's going to be great advice. If your advice is off of the news channels all week long, if that's where you get everything, everything you access in your heart is from the news, it's not going to be that great of advice, maybe. But if you have this, the word in you, you're going to be able to access the word on the spot to have wisdom that you never had on your own. And finally, the last application is this. Pray, then act. You want to start living by the power of the Holy Spirit? Pray first, then act. Before you discipline your child and you're in the heat of the moment and you're angry and you want to raise your voice or you want to do something that you're going to regret a little bit later, pray, God, help me to discipline my child in a way that makes a difference in their life, that demonstrates love, that shows patience, that models the spirit. Pray, then act. Before you post that thing on Facebook, that's going to cause a fire with your family members. Pray, then act. Before you get up and you face the day at work and you step out of the car and you step into your office around your peers and around your coworkers, the first thing to do in the morning, pray and then act. One of the best ways to yield to the Spirit is to pray first and then act and let the Spirit lead your life. The Spirit's ready to do a big work in you. The question is, are you ready for Him? I'm going to pray right now. And if you want to receive the Spirit for the first time, I want you to pray with me and leave this place changed. We're going to sing a whole song, okay? We're going to sing one full song right now. And I want to encourage you during this song, if you've got some work to do, if you've got some things to confess, if you've got some things to lay at Jesus' feet, take that time to do it before you leave. And if you need... Jesus for the first time right now. I want you to pray with me. And then I also want you to come and talk to me afterwards. We want to know that you prayed and we want to help you as you take steps with the Lord. So will you pray with me? Pray this with me if you want to receive Jesus today. Father God, I believe in the work of your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that my sin my struggles, none of it is too big for you. I believe that you forgive me. I believe that if I confess my sins to you, you are faithful. You will wipe me white as snow. You will wash me from the inside out. You will change me. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Spirit, come into my heart. Expel the darkness. Give me strength to live in a new way. Give me strength to love you, God, to love others. You know the areas that need to change in me. Change me today. Transform me from the inside out. I pray this with faith, hope with all belief in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.